Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today's Thursday show is a good start into deeping, giving a deep dive into the California Golden Bears. We're going to have Jackson Moore on from BearTerritory.net. It's our California affiliate. And Eric, I'm excited to hear what, what, what Jackson's going to say about just Cal adjusting to life outside of Chase Garber as a quarterback. I think that's probably even more to the extent of Oregon getting back Brennan Schooler and Micah Pittman at receiver. I think Chase Garber's being out for the foreseeable future, definitely not playing against Oregon, is going to be the biggest storyline of, of this game just because of the impact it has on both sides of the football. And I think that's one of the biggest question marks of what does Oregon look – what does California look like on Saturday against Oregon without Chase Garber's? It was certainly the storyline of media interviews on Wednesday. Just a lot of focus on what is what's the difference between California offensively with Devin Monster in the lineup in place of Chase Garbers and um, players in Oregon and coaches in Oregon said the preparation hasn't changed. They're still preparing for a good Cal offense. Obviously, the, the play calling won't change necessarily. The, the coordinator is still the same. It's still Bo Baldwin, who Oregon fans are, I'm sure, quite familiar with. He was the old Eastern Washington coach, so... Some familiarity there, but yeah, that that certainly is the big talking point, right? Like we had talked about how Chase Garbers should, he looked great against Ole Miss. The two right. of us watched quite a bit of that game and looked like he was kind of coming into his own. He was great in the start of that game against Arizona State. Um, threw a nice touchdown pass early in that game to to give Cal, you know, some early momentum. But yeah, lost for the foreseeable future now with a shoulder injury it's a tough break for for california and um i'm curious to see kind of how they're regrouping um my perspective from watching devin monster on friday and we talked about this previously he didn't look great yeah he struggled and it's not unexpected that a backup quarterback is going to be a step down that's why he's not the starter and it's not unexpected that a guy who's been taking second team reps for the entirety of fall camp and into the season isn't going to be quite as good as a first team guy. But um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts this California team. As we talked about earlier this week, they're still really talented on defense. They still have a good, some good running backs and some go wide receivers. So it's not like all is lost, but that absolutely is, I think kind of the underlying storyline is what does this California offense look like without Chase Garbers and with Devin Monster in the lineup? The running backs at California, um, a lot, of, a lot of praise for these guys, you know, in, in terms of the talent that Cal has at the position. And um, I think that's going to be another dynamic of what we're going to see in this football game. And we're going to have a lot of, of discussion with um, Jackson about this, this upcoming game and um, who are the guys to know, you know in terms of Cal's team now that, you know, Garbers is out. What what can you count on um, from Cal's offense? And I'm excited to, to to figure out also just kind of what makes Cal's defense so good. Is it Evan Weaver being Evan Weaver and so dominant and being the best player maybe in Pac-12 football on the defensive side of the ball? Or does, you know, what does his supporting cast like? Is it as simple as, hey, take out Evan Weaver and all of a sudden the floodgates open? Or or what, what do they have on the Cal's defensive side of the football? Yeah, and the offensive side, you mentioned those running backs. Andy Avalos described Christopher Brown and, and Marcel Dancy as the best, uh, I think, group of running backs Oregon has faced to date this season. I don't think <clears> – <throat> I mean, the I think obviously there's something that needs to – and that's significant. 
Auburn has some pretty good running backs. Uh, they ran the ball pretty effectively. We saw Scarlett last or a couple weeks ago against Stanford for Stanford run the ball pretty effectively. Um, so that's pretty high praise. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm also curious to see what Jackson has to say about that running game, about those running backs, because you don't just, you know, Avalos is a respectable guy. He knows this football, obviously, at a very high level. It, it'll be interesting to see kind of what those guys provide and can this Cal offense, even without their quarterback, uh, make up for it with these running backs. couple notes that we should just dive into a little bit before we bring Jackson on. Um, I, I think the most notable is that Oregon for this football game is going to get Micah Pittman and Brendan Schooler back for this football game against Cal. Mario Cristobal on Wednesday said that these two players will play. It's not game time decision. It's, it's, it's not, we'll see it's they're going to play. And, the ramifications of getting both of these guys back onto the football field, I think are huge for, for Oregon football. Absolutely. And we've been talking about it now all week. We, it sounded like on Monday's press conference from, from Cristobal that the two of them would be back. Now we have some, some finality, some clarity that, that they've both been cleared and will play. I mean, it's, it was previously like, it seems like they're on track to do so. Now, now it's, these guys are playing. It is a reality. Oregon goes from having basically four, scholarship wide receivers who originated at the position in fall camp to six, which is extremely significant. Juwan Johnson, we should mention, is still progressing, which seems to be the new word of the day for Mario Cristobal when describing Juwan, because previously it was day by day or day to day. Now it's progressing. Um, I still think there's, I think if he was playing this weekend, we would know. I don't expect yeah. we'll see him, but the, the addition of those two guys is, is massive. It's significant. And we'll see how much that impacts this Oregon passing game. Uh, again, against a pretty dang good California defense. They're going to need all hands on deck. And I thought, uh, sorry, Johnny Johnson said it pretty well. He said, we're going into war this time, but with a couple more weapons. And, and I think that's kind of the way you have to look at it. This is, you don't want to say it's completely revamped, but it's a passing game that has kind of lacked bodies. And you not only add a couple of guys that are, that are fresh bodies, but also talented, talented players. I think the fresh bodies part is the biggest impact that this is going to have is that, all of a sudden now, Oregon doesn't <clears throat> excuse me, Oregon doesn't have to operate with basically four receivers. You know, okay. they've they've rolled with basically four guys at the position. And Daywood Davis and um Spencer Webb, they've they've been in here and there, but it's essentially been Johnny John uh Johnny Johnson and Jalon Red and Josh Delgado and Brian Addison. And so just adding two more guys into the fold allows guys to be more fresh, allows, Cristobal said, Oregon to practice differently because they, they haven't been able to do that. So I, this is now, at, at this point, starting at Cal, and I'm going to probably give the, probably going to give the offense a game or two of getting their feet wet, getting them th themselves adjusted and acclimated and whatnot. But this is where I think, at starting at Cal, that's where you can start being critical of the Oregon offense because mm -hmm. for the for the most part they're going to be healthy now. Like the only thing that we're we're not seeing out on the football field is Cam McCormick at tight end, but he's been hurt all year and he was hurt all of last year. <clears throat> and Juwan Johnson. And outside of that, Oregon has no overlaying injuries on the offensive side of the football. And they should, in theory now, be as close to as 
they can be of being at full strength. And so now is where you can be critical of this football team. I think on an offensive side of the football, you know, we, we didn't like certain things and, and we didn't see, you know, there were some struggles that we saw offensively for the Oregon, but there's always going to be the caveat of, well, they're not operating at full strength yet. Now moving forward, unless anyone, someone else gets hurt, they're not going to have that, caveat in their back pocket of well wait until we get such and such back wait until we get such and such back because i don't think we were we were looking at juan johnson as this is the guy that's going to make the difference between oregon being a 12 and 0 team and oregon being a, a 7 and 5 team i don't think anyone anyone was saying that i don't think anyone was saying that about Pittman or schooler but when you lose a couple guys that's where it starts taking a, a, a really big impact especially with will hoyt especially with Water's still waiting in the wings from his from their injuries as well. You got them all, add them all up, then it, it starts to make its its big toll. Collectively, now they're they're almost as healthy as possible, and I think now is where we can start saying, "Hey, they're not getting the job done. Why is that? And, you know, it's officially now you have an issue because up until then it's, it's it was kind of a wait and see mode. I mean, I'm in full agreement with you there, Matt. Just in terms of. Yeah, I think you had some ammunition if you were Marcus Arroyo or, or somebody who wanted to necessarily support the offense. Just of that, we're not at 100%. We don't have the bodies. Four players at one position group is crazy. Losing five at wide receiver like that is crazy. Uh, now that you have most of those guys back or, or at least enough back to, to really put out a good group of guys, I agree. I don't think there's room to make an excuse. And I also say... If you're an Oregon fan, you're going, okay, now we're back at full, full, you know, firing on full cylinders. And they struggle against California's defense. Still recognize California, like we've said, and we're talking about this podcast, has a very, very good defense. And so I don't think it's fair to now think, oh, we've got these guys back. They're going to go out and score seven touchdowns. But I do think it is fair to go, wow, if this group doesn't look good at all on Saturday, something is, something's off. Something's wrong because you're kind of losing the, the ammunition, like I said. To, to maybe make excuses. Well, I think they get, are you going to, I think they should at least get like one or maybe two games to get Pittman and school. Right. 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 And, those, and, I, and I, we should say, I don't expect, and I think both Arroyo and, and a bunch of different guys, Cristobal included, have said that those guys are going to, it's going to take some time. There's going to be some rust factor to wear off. Right. Cause these guys were lost for so long. So I'm not saying, yeah, like let's, sure. let's expect them to be totally firing on hundred percent against California. I'm just saying, if the offense is still predictable or I mean, cause, cause I think part of the thing that got lost in some of this, and we talked about in the podcast is that when you're so down depth wise at position groups, it, it sort of you're handcuffed a little bit offensively and what you can really do. And, and Arroyo said that I think it was on Tuesday, just of like we had Spencer Webb out there who start, didn't start fall camp at wide receiver. And he's kind of got a limited inventory of plays he can run and you're sort of handcuffed. But now that you've got these two guys back, even if they're not physically capable they're at least mentally aware and capable of all the ins and outs of what they're supposed to do. Right. And now you have at least some depth to do some of the stuff. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. All right. Now let's welcome in Jackson Moore from BearTerritory.net, our affiliate in the 24-7 Sports Network that covers the California Golden Bears. Does a lot of stuff in the Bay Area just in general, but he's our guy for, for Cal. And Jackson, how's things going? What, what's the vibe right now with this this Cal football team going into what has become a really big football game between Oregon and, and California. Yeah. Uh, the vibe could be better. Uh, unfortunately <laughs> with uh, 
uh, it's not just losing to Arizona State last weekend, but losing Chase Garbers in the process, which looks like it's going to be a while until he could potentially come back, if at all, this season. Um, you know, the, the way that the Bears' offense just fell off without him, just as he was breaking out, too. The, the prior week against Ole Miss was his best game by far as a Cal Bear. And, I mean, without him, they only complete five passes in two-plus quarters. Uh, they fall in an Arizona State game. They probably should have won. And it just feels like, you know, on short notice, w- without Garbers, that this game probably is not going to go too well for Cal. Um, you know, of course, they have Devon Monster, who was at UCLA, and he was thought to be pretty competitive with Garbers in terms of talent going into the year. But uh, right now, there's a, a big chemistry issue, it looks like, and I don't know if they can figure it out in a week or not. Jackson, I, I, there was so much going into last Friday night's game. You know, Cal was ranked. They were undefeated. You know, they were in the top 15 in the country. They just come off the old miss game. And, you know, winning that game would have pushed them to 5-0, and maybe even into, you know, higher up into the top 25. And like, like you said, the vibe isn't very good. I'm just curious, like, with, with Garber's now hurt, the loss at home, the momentum that's lost, could Saturday's game against Oregon be one of those games where, like, we all know, like, hey, one game doesn't make or break a season, but one loss or one instance could, you know, send this, you know, one loss or one win could drastically change the whole aspect of, of a year. And does this game feel like one of those, hey, like, everything's not going our way right now, and if, if we win that gives us the confidence in going out there and playing the rest of the way and competing for the North. But if, if things get ugly, this, this season could spiral out. Does that have that same feel to it th- for this game? You know, there's that concern. And even Cal's star linebacker, Evan Weaver, brought that up after the Arizona State game. He said, that's kind of been our MO here the last couple of years under Coach Wilcox. They seem to lose one game and then they lose a couple. And it seems to snowball a little bit on them. But, but when I look at the schedule, I think if they can just survive or, or get out of this game pretty competitively, there's a chance for them to bounce back because after this one, they have a bye and then they get Oregon State. So they should have kind of a two-week buffer there if they have to go with Monster for the long term. Hopefully they can figure something out. And you know, as discouraging as it was to see Garbers injured and how well he was playing up until the injury, he only threw for about 120 yards in the win at Washington and only 111 in the win against North Texas at home. Both of those were very close games. So I think there's still a formula for Cal to, to go out there and win games without Garbers, but there was just a, an evident feel of the offense that wasn't right in the previous game. And going up against Oregon's defense plus Oregon's offense, which isn't going to give them much uh, let up, is just not a, a good way to kind of figure that out this week. But if they can at least be competitive uh, if the defense can play a good game that I mean like or just in general if the defense plays well and if it's a low scoring game then Cal should feel pretty good even if they come out with a loss with how they played and then they've got two weeks to kind of figure things out before they get Oregon State and go into the last stretch of the season. I I was going to ask you Jackson you kind of answered a little bit there but how, how does Cal navigate its offense now without Garbers? And, and I was going to bring up the fact that they, they had had some success even in games where he wasn't like prolific throwing the football. Is it a thing where you think that the running game, which Oregon's defensive coordinator said on Wednesday, was the, the best backfield that they've faced to, to point this season with Christopher Brown and, and Marcel Dancy? Do you feel like they're capable of just leaning on those two guys 
I know that's what they did in that one scoring drive against Arizona State. Is that something they can do, or do you think you need to get something out of Devin Monster to at least be competitive? Yeah, you definitely have to get something out of Monster because that was a, a pretty impressive drive. They had 12 plays, all rushes against Arizona State to put their what ended up being the last score of the game for the Bears, and really nothing worked for them after that point. And it's not just that they have to work with a backup quarterback now, but they've already lost two offensive linemen for the year oh. prior to that game, and there's had, they've had a third offensive lineman starter that's kind of been off and on uh, with health the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, Garbers was already kind of in a, a bad situation where he was having to navigate without a full-strength offensive line, and now you throw Monster into that situation as well. You throw the running game into that kind of situation where – you know they're not going to get some of those guys back, regardless at any point of the season. So, Garbers was at least—I mean—he figured something out with his passing game at Ole Miss that we hadn't seen, and he managed to do that without a full-strength offensive line. That was really impressive, and it seemed like he was really taking command with the the kind of issues they were having up front. Which that's going to be a different uh, different deal for Monster and for the two young running backs to figure things out as well. Um, none of those three have a whole lot of experience going into this year. When you talk about Monster and even Brown and Dancy, both of those guys have just kind of exploded onto the scene at the beginning of this year. And they're going to have some, some chemistry issues, I think, unless Monster can really get going. I, I, w- I was going to kind of ask for the scouting report on Monster. I think on paper, I was thinking he was maybe more mobile than Garbers, but I'm looking at the numbers and it looks like they both have had a fair amount of success running at times this season. Is he somebody who's capable, you think, of – uh, I guess, propelling an offense with his legs, or, or will he have to find a way to utilize his receivers? And I watched most of that game against Arizona State, and I thought Trevon Clark was tremendous at, at times, especially in the first half. Yeah, and that was in a, kind of a nice surprise. Clark was out there what felt like the, the whole game, and uh, Cal's been a team that's really rotated their receivers, and Clark hasn't necessarily been at the top of that rotation. So it's been a little bit of someone different each week, it feels like, and it's been spread out quite a bit, but Clark felt like the go-to guy for sure. Um, as far as mobility with Monster, I might almost say that Garbers is better on his legs, but the thing that they really need is not necessarily the read option kind of plays from their quarterback, but as mentioned with the offensive line issues, they need their quarterback to be able to move within the pocket and then get out of there to, to keep plays alive. Uh, uh, excuse me, Garbers ran 18 times against North Texas. And again, that was a game they had control of early, but it did get close at the end. And in a game, the passing game wasn't working very well. At least Garbers was able to use his leg to have some sort of resemblance of, of an offense that really sputtered over the last three quarters in that one. I go back to the Arizona State game, and they opened out the second half with that 12-play drive and all-run plays and Obviously, they were successful. Is that a, sus- a sustainable offense or game plan that Cal can go out, not just against Oregon, but just, hey, we're going to – is that is that how they're going to have to win football games, basically? Obviously, they're not going to be able to run the football every single play. <laughs> but is it is it putting together these long drives that chew up six, seven, five minutes of game clock and – you just walk away with points. Is that how Cal now with, with, with Garbers out, is that how they're going to have to win football games? No, I think so. And again, I point to those wins over Washington and North Texas where Garbers throws for just barely over 100 yards. They need to have at least that in their back pocket where 
they can balance things out. Uh, as we saw against Arizona State, after that drive, you know, if they get stuffed on first down and then second down especially, they're stuck in either second and long or third and long, and they had no passing game to speak of in that one with Monster trying to lead the offense. I believe he just went 5 of 12 for 23 yards, I believe his final numbers were. So, I mean, they, they can definitely lean on the run first, but they have to have a more reliable passing attack, just even if it's a secondary deal. Um, they'll like to run with three receivers out there and spread things out, but they still like to run the ball and, and power things, even if it's not maybe a traditional power type look when they come out in their base offense. We're speaking with Jackson Moore here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. He covers the California Golden Bears for 24-7 sports on bearterritory.net. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and continue our interview with, with Jackson. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast where we're speaking with Jackson Moore of bearterritory.net, the California affiliate on the 24-7 sports Network and and Jackson, let's switch sides maybe a little bit to this California defense. I I think everyone knows about Evan Weaver. I mean, this is an absolute star player, maybe the best defensive player in the conference. He's got my vote to be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. But as a unit, this group is pretty special too. It is. It Evan Weaver is is the, is the defense so successful because Evan Weaver just covers up so much ground and covers up mistakes and is just this ultimate player or is it a co- combination of hey they've got a star guy and and weaver but there's ex, you know players one two and three that are also doing a lot of damage that just don't get the notoriety that weaver does well, i think it starts with the defensive backfield and as a unit they've gotten a lot of publicity in the preseason and even during the year as one of the better defensive backfields in the country but you don't see a lot of accolades for anyone individually, which is where they kind of get lost in the shuffle. But as a unit, they have done a really good job of letting Weaver and the rest of the group do what they need to do. Uh, they can rely a lot on single coverage. You know, they can just drop back their or rely on their four or five defensive backs that they have out there at a time, and really be aggressive up front with Tim DeRuiter's three-four defense. That's what they really like to do up front, and you can't do it unless you have good coverage downfield. Um, so it's kind of the they do have gotten credit, but just not a lot of individual accolades for that defensive backfield. I think that's where it starts. And then you look at Weaver and his uh, partner in crime, who is a six foot six inside linebacker, Coin Dang. Uh, he was a junior college four star guy they brought in this past offseason, was on uh, Last Chance U. And he's really meshed pretty well with Weaver, the two of those guys in the middle so far. Um, the defensive line is, is definitely the weakest part personnel-wise. They've been missing a couple guys that uh, just never reported to fall camp, essentially. It's kind of been a, a weird situation there. And their outside linebackers have been kind of off and on with injuries. So, again, for me, I look at the, the defensive backfield and the two middle linebackers. That's really been the heart of this defense, and they've gotten good enough play with the rest of the front seven to really round out the unit. I want I want to ask an Evan Weaver specific question because I've become a kind of an Evan Weaver fan just from watching him on television the last couple of games and <laughs> that old Miss game in particular the way he played and I was just like this guy is awesome and and so he was talking about I think during the telecast how he 
he like goes on social media to look up trash to talk on opposing players. Like, <laughs> do you, like well, is that just kind of the Evan? Because I don't really know his persona. Is that just kind of like is he that kind of guy that that kind of fits in line with the narrative of who he is? Because I came away being like, this guy is is like a, a throwback player. Like he feels like a 1980s <laughs> Chicago Bear player or something. Yeah, he, he's like a TV kind of character. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is my first season covering Cal, and, and I've gotten to. I'll tell the story. When I first met Evan Weaver, he was on the podium doing his interviews. And then a kid comes up from behind in the crowd. There was an open practice, and he's trying to get an autograph from Weaver. And he says, this pen is Washington purple, and I'm not using it to sign your paper. So let's go somewhere and find a black one or a blue one that I can sign your paper with. And him and this kid are walking around the stadium looking for a pen to borrow. And uh, I mean, he emphasized he didn't want anything to do with the Washington Purple, and it doesn't matter who the team is, really. He's pretty ready to, to make some remarks and talk some trash, and uh, he definitely seems like he goes the extra mile to have a, to be well-equipped going into each game. Where does that, that Washington, I guess, disdain come from? Because he talked a lot of trash in the media coming into that game, and then afterwards, too. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a Washington native. I guess that's part of it, uh, but it seems like no matter – what team it is i think uh, leading up to arizona state he said i just want to tackle whoever's in red or something to that effect so uh, i think he'll bring it towards anyone really as he said anything this week and that that stands out and, and i guess just even if he hasn't i guess just in general what's been the tenor from players and coaches about this matchup and, and maybe the the challenge that oregon uh, possesses for them it's kind of a different vibe this week because to me, obviously, I was pretty down on what the offense did without Garbers in last weekend's game. But when Coach Wilcox and, and Evan Weaver came out in the post game, they looked just disgusted. And it was all to do with the defense. And they only gave up 24 points. Granted, it was their worst performance of the season scoreboard-wise. And they hadn't given up even 24. I think you have to go back 12 games. It might be back to whenever Callan Horgan played last year to whether that, that happened in that time frame. Uh, yeah, I believe that that stretch of three losses they had last season was the last time that's happened. And there was just a real, you know, the part of the, of coach Wilcox and Weaver that I hadn't seen before personally, a uh, real anger and just disappointment and disgust in the way the defense played. And they're still trying to kind of reset that tone and really focus on themselves a little bit more this week than talking trash on the other guys. All right, we're speaking with Jackson Moore of BearTerritory.net. Jackson, real quick before we get you to your, your prediction on this game, Justin Wilcox, everyone that Oregon knows, you know, that's an Oregon legend, you know, guy that's got a ton of history himself, his brother, his dad. What's just kind of the general feel with Wilcox at California? Is the, pro, is the fan base all in, or are we seeing you know, a surge and more and more people paying attention, talking about the game, showing up to games. And, and do you feel like Wilcox is a guy that, Hey, like he's home, he's going to stay at Cal for a long period of time. Or do you think that, you know, the more success Cal has, they're not going to be able to, to keep him. I think for now, it's a pretty good mutual deal for both Cal and coach Wilcox, uh, not just coach Wilcox, but I've been really impressed with a lot of the assistants, particularly on defense talking about Tim DeRuiter, who's known as a very good defensive coordinator, uh, Coach Sermon right there helping him, uh, Coach uh, Gerald Alexander, who's the defensive back mastermind of that group that I was mentioning previously. Uh, it's just a it's a really solid staff and probably better than Cal's had in some time. But with Coach Wilcox and the fan base, I think there's 
this kind of feeling with Cal. It's been about a good decade since the Coach Tedford years when they were really uh, kind of on top or, or near the top of the Pac-12. And this past week was kind of the first time they've really felt that, climbing all the way up to about 15th in the country in the rankings and feeling like they could have gotten that 5-0 and start with the win against Arizona State. That was really the first time I've seen it kind of feel like it was all in. Uh, they didn't really come close to selling out California Memorial Stadium in that game, but it was a, a bigger crowd than you would typically expect on a Friday night for Cal. So there's kind of a, a wait and see with the, the Cal fan base in terms of 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. It probably isn't going to move the needle too much. They want to, you know, I don't know how fair it is for expectations, but they want to see a coaching staff that can get them close to some roses, and that might not be the, the most fair ask of the coaching staff and maybe by the time that happens he does foresee some other greener pastures but um, for right now as long as they're kind of a bowl team and uh, Wilcox is leading the way to you know above 500 but maybe not necessarily Pac-12 contenders it's going to be kind of stagnant I think at Cal and we'll see if they can take that next step. All right we're speaking with Jackson Moore BearTerritory.net go ahead uh, give him a good read on 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 the website um jackson before we send you out what's just if, if you're comfortable making a pick what's kind of your expectations for for saturday's game yeah um yeah i can see it kind of going two different ways just cal's defense has been so strong and you know their history with oregon and particularly justin herbert has not been very good for cal granted how good they've been on defense since the last time they played um you know if i can if Cal's defense can hold up, they've got a, a pretty good resume so far this season playing some quarterbacks, which aren't from big schools per se, but Mason Fine at North Texas was a big one. Jake Mayer at UC Davis was, you know, those are some of the best group of five and FCS quarterbacks they faced. They handled Jacob Beeson pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I think that if they can hold their own on defense, they can keep the score low and maybe have a puncher shot. But if they can't, have a, an elite type day on defense. This one could get ugly and uh, I'm trying to see it somewhere probably in the middle. Again, they hadn't give up, given up any more than 24 points. So if they can do that by just the nature of football, it'll be a, a fairly close game. Um, if they can't, I don't see them putting up a lot of points on offense. So probably for me, somewhere in the, the 10 to 24 point loss range for Cal, uh, just depending on how good that defense can perform. I was telling somebody else this week that I think if Oregon scores 14 points, that's probably going to be enough to win just because of Cal's, I guess, lack of ability to move the football offensively. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And almost for Cal, they know that there's a chance that this game could get ugly. I mean, the spread is, I think, 17 right now. So just that's not going to feel very good if they come out of there with a 17 or less or 17 or more point loss. But if they can hold Oregon to 14, maybe even in a loss, if they get out of there, they lose 14 to 10. Right. I mean, I think that would probably feel better than the That's way they're feeling right now. Yeah, exactly. All right. You're, you can follow Jackson Moore on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can read his work on BearTerritory.net. It's part of 247sports.com. Uh, Jackson, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, and uh, best of luck to you all covering the game on Saturday. Thanks. You have a good day. You too. Thank you. All right, good stuff with Jackson Moore being on the show, as always. Uh, thank you for him for coming on and opening up uh, his time and hopefully informing you guys of 
some good insight on the California Golden Bears and what Oregon's going to be facing uh, this Saturday evening at Austin Stadium. This game's a 5 o'clock kick. Um, I didn't quite realize that it wasn't just Chase Garbers that was banged up, but they had so many injuries along, along the offensive line as, and also on the defensive line. I mean, that I, things are not good right now, it seems like, seems like for Cal from a health standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the sack numbers earlier today, and Cal has allowed 17 sacks in five games, which is about a little more than three a game. And that's that's a pretty – that's a good chunk right there. I and mean, that's – Oregon has allowed eight, by the way, for, for context perspective. And I think they rank like eighth or something in the Pac-12 with that number. So um, it's – Oregon's pass rush has been tremendous all season. They've got a lot of pressure off the edge as well. And I could see this being a game where if Monster – isn't able to throw the ball effectively. Oregon is going to get after him. Like, I think he's going to have to make quick decisions. Basically, is how I yeah. feel. He's he's going to have to get the ball out quickly. And if he can't diagnose the defense very well, and he's running for his life, kind of like what Jackson alluded to having happened previously with Garbers. Like this could be a game where I don't want to say it gets ugly, but it could be a game where where that Cal offense really just has almost no success. Um, I my my instinct is that we'll see. Monster have some really tough, tough drives. I, I could see that happening. It seems to be sort of, I just think of every time Cal, Cal comes to Oregon, the opposing quarterback seems to be hurt, hurt, struggling. It's rainy and he can't fill, hold on to the football. I forget who that was. Is that Ross Bowers? Like, that, five? no, that was, uh, that was Goff. Is that Goff who couldn't yeah. hold on to the football? Yep. Gosh, yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, they just always seem to have issues at odds. And so, um, part of me is kind of like, well, you got a backup quarterback with a, with a dinged up offensive line. That sounds like the perfect. Um, you know, kind of resume and perfect setup equation, whatever you will, uh, just to get after him and make it a really tough day. I could, I could see it being tough for him, especially his first start um, with California. It's not an easy one. You know, it's not an easy one at all coming to sure. Hudson, playing a really good Oregon defense. Now, I, I will say, though, that or, or California, one, one positive for them maybe is that they kind of are already used to having to play a near perfect game and ball control and relying so much on, on the defense and the run game to the point where it's, it it shouldn't be, I would think that much of an adjustment for this offense. Like Garbers was obviously significantly better than, than Modster, but like, like Jackson said, like even with Garbers, you know, they were thrown for 120, 140, 150 yards against North Texas and Washington and, you know, pulling out wins. So I would think having some familiarity with that type of just mindset and game planning, like they'll come in maybe a little bit prepared. And I think you should also understand that, hey, like even though Monster's an experienced player, being thrown in mid-game when you haven't gotten all the reps, that's tough exactly. to do. Yeah, and, exactly. and, and so I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the offense comes out a little cleaner uh, after having a week of prep. Um, I, I didn't realize this until Jackson talked about it too. And I, I, I guess I'm more so I forgot about it, but Wilcox has developed and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll just touch base, you know, as this is the final talking point here, but Wilcox has a really good staff in terms of, sure does. of guys on, and, and he's right. Jackson's right. If, if Cal can just hold on to this group, they're going to become a power in the pack 12. I, I think, I mean, you've got Wilcox at head coach. You know, Bo Baldwin was, you know, one of the top offensive coordinators at West a couple of years ago, was a head coach at Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim DeRue, great with the offensive line coach. Peter Sermon, ex-Oregon player, 
You know, he's certainly been all over the place uh, and had success all over the place as a linebackers coach, as a defensive coordinator. Marquise Tuasasopo is on on staff as well. So, I mean, I, I, Jackson's right. Like, this group, if they can keep this core group intact, eventually I think Cal's going to become a power in the Pac-12. And, and I think you're already seeing them take a step there right now without the talent on the field, right, at some spots. Like, like, like he said, they've clearly got – I think they've got NFL guys at linebacker and NFL guys in the secondary. And then offensively, they've got maybe some NFL guys at running back um, and maybe at wide receiver. But, like, they lack some spots. Like, they're – they're like a good quarterback, so maybe better defensive line, maybe a little bit better offensive line play from being really, really competitive. And I think with a staff like that, the development that they'll have, probably improved recruiting once you see them continue to sort of ra- – I mean, because they've been consistently pretty good now for a couple of years under Wilcox. I think you'll see the recruiting pick up a little bit. And, and I agree. I think I think you'll see the Pac-12 North really become just an absolute – like, like there's, no, there's no weak link in, in the division right now, I don't think, besides Oregon, Oregon State. State. Besides Oregon State, yeah. Uh, but like – Stanford right now is having a down year, but they've been so consistent historically, and you can't discount the talent they have there. Washington is obviously, you know, right right now I think Oregon and Washington are really the class of the conference and definitely the division. Washington State is an extremely difficult out every single week because they're just so different. Yep. Um, and and it's, so it's it's I think if you're an Oregon fan, you have to like the fact that there was a time where there were certain teams that you just knew that you're going to run all over them, and it was going to be you know, a blowout. There aren't that many teams right now in the division in particular that you look at and you just go like, Oh, that's, that's an easy 40 point win. Like Oregon might do that to Cal on Saturday, but I still think I respect the direction that program is going. And I do think, like you said, if they keep the staff together, keep some of this talent that they have together, unfortunately, Evan Weaver was probably their best player as a senior. Um, they're going to continue to be very competitive. I think in the Pac-12 North. Yeah, I I'm with you. I, I think this team is, is going to be, very good down the line. Um, you look across the board on offense and on defense, and yeah, right now their best players are are mostly seniors, but or upperclassmen. But you you look at you know their offensive line from left to tackle. It's junior, freshman, junior, freshman, junior. All three of their tight ends are sophomores. Chase Garbers is a sophomore. Running back Christopher Brown's a sophomore. Marcel Dancy's a junior. You know, their their slot guy is a sophomore and they've they've got juniors at receiver, one senior receiver position on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they have a couple more seniors up front and obviously along the defensive line and Evan Weaver is a senior. But for the most part, this group is a bunch of seniors is a bunch of underclassmen. I mean, their their best players are their seniors, but they've got a ton of underclassmen that are playing and. You know, if they can just string together a couple more really good recruiting classes, then I think you know this program is going to keep getting better and better. And you're right, like the pack, you know, Oregon should be happy about how tough the division is getting because if you do go, let's just say eleven and one in regular season play, and whether that loss is in conference or not, if the division keeps getting better like it is, your conference is going to take care of you and keeping you in the playoff discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what the conference needs. Uh, I, I, well, obviously, I think they need a top tier. They need one of these programs to be as good or on the same level almost as these ACC and SEC and Big Ten and Big 12 powers because there's not really a team right now. And maybe it's going to be Oregon. I think maybe it will be Oregon that carries the mantle. But just top to bottom, this conference is, I think, very, very competitive. And I saw a stat today. I think the Pac-12 has the best record this season against Power 5 schools. 
um, out of conference. I think they're like five and three. And obviously, Oregon is nine seconds away from making that six and two. It's not like this conference can't compete nationally. I just think uh, they lack some of those top programs. Uh, I've said that a couple times in the podcast. Um, but just the balance that you're seeing now from from top to bottom is really encouraging. And I think Cal is one of those programs that has, in particular, kind of elevated itself from a few years ago where they could, man, they could move the ball up and down the field throwing the football, but they couldn't stop anybody. And now they don't have quite the same potency offensively, but defensively they're one of the premier programs, and that makes them really competitive week in and week out. All right, that's going to do it for us on the show. Thanks for Jackson coming on. Again, you can – uh, read his work at BearTerritory.net. Uh, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Perim, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.